So this is going to be our very first mailbag episode for D&D Raw, where we're answering questions that were submitted from listeners, and maybe a couple from some of our really uh, curious cast members, <laughs> Jane and uh, Nick, <laughs> which is great. I, I'm excited. Yeah, good questions too. That's, no, why, they, good that's questions. why they made the list. They're great questions. So I'm looking forward to seeing what we all have to answer with us. It's me, Bethany. I play Belinda Walsingham in Serviceable Plots, and I'm one of the hosts of Rules as Written. Hey, I'm Tony. I'm the Dungeon Master for our Orenthal Serviceable Plots and Rumble Squad campaigns, as well as one of the hosts for uh, Rules as Written. Hi, I'm Adam. I play Akiva Kanchu for our Serviceable Plots campaign. I am Chris. Um, I play Orc Fireforge in the Rumble Squad. Hey, I'm Nick. I play Luvin Cromdell in Rumble Squad. All right, so we are here to try to answer your questions. Disclaimer, these are our opinions. We don't hold that anything we say is 100% accurate. You may disagree with our favorite and least favorite monsters because we are all influenced by the experiences we've had. We're going to be sharing some things that have happened in the campaign. To clarify, if you haven't listened to episodes 1 through 10 of both Rumble Squad and Serviceable Plots, there could be some spoilers. I'm not sure how far we'll go, but just if you're not 100% caught up, be aware you might get some spoilers for those campaigns. Also, I know we're going to be referencing some things from Orenthal, which was our full campaign from last year. So there will probably be some spoilers for that as well. So be prepared. If you want to stop right now and go listen to everything, I highly recommend that. It's great quality content. Listen to every episode we've released so far. Or just, you know, see what what you have to learn about what we've done in our, our adventures thus far. So I want to thank some of the people who submitted questions from our patrons on Patreon. We had Gnome, Darkweezy, and Jeremy, who sent us a great number of questions I'm excited to answer. And Noah Vale, who is one of the members of our Discord server, also submitted some questions. So if you are interested in asking us more questions than what we answered today, you can tweet those to us at Rules is Written, or email them to dm at dndraw.com. And as I mentioned before, we have a Patreon, so we would love it if you support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dndraw. And don't forget to tune in to the end of this episode, where we'll be recapping episodes 1 through 10 of Serviceable Plots and Rumble Squad. All right, so jumping into our questions, I think we might start with one of the overall questions, which is really for Tony, which was, where did the inspirations for Orenthal and Ostia and the storylines come from? So that's really about everything you have released thus far as a DM. Yeah, that's a big question. And I was racking my brain quite a while for it, to be honest with you. Um, so... Give us your secrets, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, the overall world of Ostia kind of came about like really slowly. I basically wanted to, I wanted four different kingdoms, um, mostly for the four major races, or rather for elves, dwarves, and humans, but I wanted to split the elves between high elves and uh, wood elves. Um, and the Ostia kind of slowly built from the basic storyline I wanted to do, which was the storyline of the deities kind of disappearing. The, the storylines developed a lot. Originally, I was like, I'm going to go because I like the Blood War, and Blood War is cool, and start to build something from there. demons are cool. I know. As someone who's married, okay. too, I don't fully understand it, but I accept <laughs> No, no. Not because demons are cool, because the concept of uh, the battle between uh, lawful versus chaotic, I find much more interesting than just good versus evil. Because I'm like, the party will be... Um, overall good party. The, the, my intention is that they will have to be heroes. On the balance. <laughs> good. On the balance. Um, but 
the idea that they'll have to contend with forces that are lawful and forces that are chaotic and sometimes potentially have to choose, uh, like, make decisions based off of what side they lean towards, I find to be a little bit more interesting than just, here is a good thing and here is a bad thing. What do you want to do? So what you're saying um, is we're getting spoilers for what's coming. <laughs> no, no comments the, on that. The spoiler is Tony is going to continue to make us make hard choices because there will be times that the choices are easy and times that I'm, my intention is it will be a difficult decision yeah. that you may all not agree with. Yeah, I, I don't uh, think it's a spoiler to say there's some episodes that will be coming out for serviceable plots where Tony has forced us to make very hard choices, which is great for character building and emotionally very hard as players. <laughs> <laughs> but they create, I think, really good moments. It's good storytelling. Um, yeah. Now, my inspiration for Orenthal was uh, I had already established that there was going to be this massive cataclysmic uh, battle that occurred across the continent. Um, so I started to build the capital from there. I already had a couple of general ideas on it. It was a primarily human capital, but a lot of mix of uh, different races and uh, ideas because they just slowly uh, got support and gathered together. So Orenthal... Uh, storyline overall i was looking at it and i was trying to think like i need something that is that is important but not big enough that like well why isn't thoven like just jumping in immediately well, yeah how is this something that's going to be crucial enough for the, the the player characters to make a meaningful impact on the world without it being like where, but where are the real heroes no offense but we were not high enough level to tackle well, like <laughs> yeah, where's, where's the the 15th level fighter where's the 20th level As wizard said, where's the big cleric yeah we're not Okay, if you haven't listened to Orenthal, sorry, that's a bit from Orenthal. We're not all in like a weird Thoven cult. <laughs> Actually, what, wait. What are, are we aliens really? from Toy Story? Hold on. We might also be the aliens from Toy Story who worship Thoven specifically. <laughs> so I did not expect you guys to like fawn over Thoven as much as you did during you, that campaign. You made him everything, Tony. He's like... Apparently. Yeah, he's like beautiful and flawed and tragic and really smart, and we were really into smart people. <laughs> he's the main character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, oh, are we the NPCs? He's we're the actual... The NPCs <laughs> here. <laughs> he's he's the NPC allies. Too. That's true. He lives a very long time as a high elf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Centuries. Yeah, so if you want to um, if you want to understand the Thova jokes, listen to Orenthal. <laughs> well, that was my big uh issue during Orenthal was I needed the threat to seem unimportant or to seem like what's something that like the major guards of the city wouldn't really pay that much attention to. And my thought is, you know what, it's only been a year. Um people the the poor people, they're not gonna pay much like, oh yeah, they're disappearing, you know, uh, there are muggings all the time, there's deaths all the time, like so what? So I needed it to be a little secretive, hence um, I was going through some things and I saw the, and of course spoilers for Ornithal, the Mind Flayers uh, well, yeah. and Intellect Devourers. Yeah, I think part of it is also we want to do something different with the campaign and we don't see a lot of like mystery themed uh, campaigns no. and uh, I think you did a good job of, you know, throwing us with some some twists and turns and making us piece together the puzzle. So that was fun for us as players. But overall, Good. I think that that kind of covers the question. I mean, there's I more so. to it, but that's the high level. An attack rug. Yes. Attack rug. <laughs> except attack for rugs everywhere. except for it wasn't really an attack rug. It ended up being just a dead rug. Let us clarify. <laughs> I was so ready for someone to run and step on that rug of smothering and Ooh. just get immediately attacked. Ooh. But no, fireball in the room, light the room on fire. Oh gosh, it's dead. Once again, 
proof that Fireball solves everything. This is it solves everything. Yeah, this is why Tony loves evocation wizards, right, Tony? Oh yeah, sure. We'll, go- well, I love to use evocation. Yes, wizards. <laughs> but as a oh, DM, you're really? like, again, they solve the problem with fire. Fine. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So next question is one for all of us, which is, how did we all meet? <laughs> Oh gosh! Do I, you I think it's me. Want to start with that, I mean, Bethany? basically, I mean, it's yeah, I have gathered us all together. I think it's I all have... your fault. Uh, well, okay. So, short version is, I mean, I met Tony, and you know, we've been together for almost ten years now. Yeah. Uh, Rachel and I uh, met through our program in technical communication at the University of Central Florida, which is also where I met Nick. And then from there, Chris, you kind of were part of the package deal with Rachel. It was it was really a bundled deal. A package deal. <laughs> Buy one, get one free. Buy one, and, get one free. <laughs> and then Jade was friends with Rachel online, so that is how Jade mm-hmm. joined us. Adam I worked with and recruited slowly into D D. Hey, slowly. Okay, I brought you into one session where I was DMing face to face and almost killed your character. You know, it was a real gradual progression of it was like so gradual. <laughs> Here's your character. Don't you love him? Oh, no, I almost killed him. Oops. Um, and then we realized we used to be college roommates. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then oh, so was, plot, plot twist. <laughs> Nick and Adam knew each other, but didn't realize for what? How many months of us oh, like God. hanging out? It, like was, a co- a, it two, was an three. embarrassingly long amount of time. Two, three months. It was a, hey, you look hey, familiar. <laughs> you look familiar. Do you have a class together? <laughs> I don't know. I better I go back like and did. check my old school email. Oh. <laughs> Oh, we only lived in the same year, the same area for over a year. We, we yeah. cohabitated, but I forgot what your face looks like. So, in a sense, aside from those of us who are couples, Nick and Adam have the most shared history, but didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Mike and Giuseppe at Service Plots, we met at a uh, tabletop role-playing game content creators meetup that we organized last year and hit it off. And then just were like, hey, we're starting a new campaign. You guys seemed like you're really invested in world building and want to join us and try it out so i think that covers it so i guess it's largely my fault um that, that's what we've gathered here so i mean 100%. you're the one who did set up the uh the rpg content that's creator true. Meetup, so, so in a sense the long answer is rather complicated which i gave but the short answer is me and also we almost all went to ucf <laughs> and that is true florida to be fair, a lot of people at DCF, it's a very large school, but yeah. It is a very large school. Over oh, yeah. 60,000 email? Over 60,000. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the... Any other uh, insights into how we all met? It's all your fault. It's all your oh. fault. I feel like that is uh, that is an accurate statement yeah. there. 100%. Yep. Uh-huh. So we have a question. I'm going to direct it to Adam first. Because you are you are oh the boy. dice the dice fiend who has oh the boy. most strong emotional reactions. Which okay. are Which are better? Metal or plastic dice? Hmm. Oh, don't pretend to think about it. You've said many you times. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. okay. Yeah. It depends on the day. So the way it works, <laughs> you have to get all your d20s, and the d20s represent each set. Okay. So you roll the d20s twice. Uh, once, if it's if it's a good one, eh, it can pass. If it's a bad one, and then it's another bad one, it's out of there. It's gone for the day. It's in timeout. If it's a bad and then a good one, or a good and then a bad one. It's up in the air. If you're feeling spicy, maybe use it. If it's too good, then you use it. That's the rule. 
That's always to our listeners, uh, let us know if you'd like a flowchart for that. <laughs> I feel like that may need flowcharting. <laughs> what? There, there's that, um, that, it's sort of like a, a meme of like a die where it shows like the, the luck particles that are in the die and everything. And I was like, this is exactly what Adam thinks. You have to test the luck particles. And if you roll them, the luck particles like shift to different faces, right? That's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. that's the idea. Yeah. Also, yeah, <laughs> all dice must be put on their highest number to teach them. Different practice. You have Training. to train them. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so that's Adam. On the flip side, I'm the person who's like, unless your dice are inherently flawed, it is all random. It's just based on probability. There will be good rolls and bad rolls. I like metal dice, though, to roll. Like, it's a satisfying experience when it's like, thunk. See, I love metal dice for rolling, but they do not like my tabletops. No. Yeah. You have to have something to roll it in. Yeah, that's the only downside. I will say that's also a big part, because I have, like, a little, um, I guess it's technically, like, a coin holder, but it's almost made of, like, um, I don't want to say cardboard, more like, like, little, like, plastic pleather thing. Um, yeah. But I also had just got this new, uh, technically it's, like, a jewelry box, um, which I, I feel rolling my uh, metal dice in that not as satisfying as actually rolling my plastic dice surprisingly because the metal dice i'm always like oh my god it's chunking in there <laughs> well i think nick's got the most legit uh dice rolling set up oh yeah 100 percent. yep well once we get our new table we might give him a run for his <laughs> maybe it's Sorry. a pretty intense dice rolling kit that nick has yeah it's only a matter of time though i mean you you, you two are so crafty i think we go on to the next question so this is actually for everyone, which is how much did you know about D&D and tabletop role-playing games in general before you finally sat down and played, and what did you think about it? So we're all taking a step back to the first time we played D&D, which for Tony, Chris, and I is all together, right? Or had you played before, Chris? Well, I had played a little bit a little before. Bit. Uh, back in college, uh, I had some friends, and we had done a little bit of uh, fourth edition stuff you, but you dabbled at fourth edition dabbled, just, just a small smattering yeah. <laughs> a one shot here or there oh my goodness <laughs> oh my yeah but uh i think and we've talked about our rules as written tony and i have with rachel that our first game mm-hmm. was 3.5 with rachel dming and uh tony and i were talking about this yesterday we were committed completely cold like We've played lots of board games, and I'm from a board gaming family, but no tabletop roleplay game, so it was completely new and foreign. Um, But I think we both really felt roleplaying was something that kind of came naturally to us. Tony maybe less so at first, but that might be because his character was just literally elf Batman, so there was only so much to work with. (laughs) I I don't know what the problem was. So Personality. Yes. Personality. Oh, that makes sense. You turn the personality slider like all the way down to zero for that character. (laughs) (laughs) No, it had a one, and the only one was orcs killed my family. Yeah, so every NPC, they're like, so where are you from? The woods where the orcs killed my family. (laughs) (laughs) That was like, okay, so you're just going to stop talking to people. We're going to let the sorcerer and the bard do the talking because, oh my God. probably a good idea. (laughs) You're like, I'm going to go out in the woods and hunt. I'm going to go hunt those orcs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was it. That was the character. So it's uh, for us. Uh, so Nick and Adam, how about you guys? Um, you want to go, go first, Nick? Adam? No. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That was such a unison. All right. Nick, how about you go first? <laughs> sure. That's that's chronological going yeah. by our, our yeah. um, Prince's game anyway. So technically, uh, before I joined your Princes of the Apocalypse game, Bethany, I did briefly try a uh, play-by-post forum, and our, uh, our campaign died in about a week. 
Oh. So then it was like, you know, I really need a group. And then you, you and I are both in the same professional organization, and and suddenly we, uh, suddenly I hear you talking about D and D, and I just kind of slide up like, what? Hey, hey. <laughs> Hello what'd, you got go, what'd you got going there? <laughs> What's this I hear about D&D? Tell me more. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So I think it, was, it wasn't It was like I was actively recruiting you for my game. It was more, more just talking about it. You're like, I'm interested. And I was like, oh, well, why don't you come and well, try it out and see what you think? Because I was still pretty new to DMing at that point. I was, what, a few months in, Tony? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think you were about six months in. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, hey, yeah, let's throw another player in there. Let's see what happens. <laughs> it actually happened super fast. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. It was different times. Our schedules were so free. We weren't podcasting yet. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and Adam, we briefly mentioned that I invited you and then almost killed your character. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> most of my background just is like general video gaming uh a while ago i started getting really frustrated with like all of my games with how limited i am to do stuff <laughs> um so i was like man i i, I remember playing D like maybe once when i was in like third grade but it was like a quick oh yeah just random dumb stupid kids doing dumb stupid things so it wasn't actually any like organized um and then i was like yeah maybe i'll try it again um and so then at MegaCon, I tried uh, a little, they, they were having a Pathfinder, like little tiny Pathfinder one-shots that lasted like half an hour. So I went to one of those and I was like, hey, this is pretty fun. Yeah. And then eventually uh, I met Bethany. Who, yeah. How did that even come up? We're talking about MegaCon and you're like, oh, I played Pathfinder. And I was like, wow, Pathfinder is kind of like a, a brutal like first introduction because it's very crunchy as a mm. rule system. So I was like, yeah, you should go play like fifth edition with us. It's way simpler mm. and uh, you can enjoy some chaos because you're like chaos, chaos, chaos. 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 <laughs> That's Adam's philosophy on gaming. <laughs> chaos, yeah. chaos. You're not but, wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's, yeah, that's kind of how it, a lot of these things, they just sort of evolved. It wasn't like, mm. you know, Mm-mm. we didn't like yeah. Recruit cast members in a in a really like specific way. It's more just like, hey, we we're gaming together and mm-hmm. see how it goes. Yeah. All right. So this question, I think, is easy slash hard, which is, what is the scariest monster in your opinion and why? Because I've I talked about this yesterday with Tony. This is in Tony's game when he was running out of the abyss. I was so happy with how this encounter yeah. played out. So. For those who haven't played it, it's one of the uh, fifth edition modules that takes place in like in, almost entirely in the Underdark. So you're in like creepy caverns with like constant monsters. Almost everything's evil except for the flumps. Flumps are cute if you don't know. Like they're just these weird little creatures that are just like passively helpful. But we knew that there were going to be uh, mind flayers, and we were coming up on this part where basically we were stalked by not just a uh, mind flayer. But an uh, Ulithrid, right? Am I saying that right, Tony? I believe so. Ulithrid is what we're saying, which I we just called the Ubermind Flayer, um, basically. <laughs> to to summarize what it is, an Ulithrid is a mind flayer that can become an Elder Brain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's an Elder Brain in training, which is like <laughs> you know the big giant brain that all of the mind flayers worship. So it's kind of a big deal. And at that point, of the campaign, we were not anywhere near high enough level to fight this thing. So we just were trying to like sneak around it and avoid it, even though it was like using its mental powers to try to detect us as we're skulking around with a party of how many NPCs? 
uh, at that time, you had like 18. Like 18 NPCs. And I'm wow. like, okay, children, single file. Oh, no. <laughs> you, you had left some behind. I so left, sorry, there were 10. 10. 10 at that point. But it was a, it was a big group. And I'm, my, my ranger who's leading the party is like, we are not equipped for this. We're just literally like people in the Underdark. I'm good at finding herbs and berries, like not fighting super mind flayers. So it was a lot of like really like clutch checks trying to just avoid this thing. So it was the scariest thing because we never actually fought it because if we had a significant number of NPCs and possibly party members would have died and it was like sending creepy messages to us like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like I know you're here sort of stuff and I was like oh, it knows we're here <laughs> yeah Tony really oh gosh, enjoyed I, it. I love that encounter because uh, from the mechanics perspective it knows if a mind is near it from like 300 feet yeah. But they had such a high stealth roll that it hadn't seen them yet. It so, just knew they were there. Yeah. Guys, do not underestimate the power of Pass Without a Trace as a spell. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> when you are sneaky and your party is not, you can make them sneakier. <laughs> so <laughs> that got us through. Really, that one spell. Also, that him knowing plus the uh, project image spell. So he could appear in the rough area that you were in because he knew you oh, were yeah, generally right. there. He kept popping and in. just talk to you. Talk, and like I kept saying, he's not looking at you, but he's just talking out loud. Yeah, he trolled us a lot. It was it was very scary. So that's mine. That's a long that was answer. So much but fun. We could give shorter answers to on scariest monster player or DM side. I think the monster that I think is kind of one of the most terrifying is um, Beholder. Yeah. Because of all of the different rays it has, and it can just stay at 120 feet from you and just fire and fire and well, fire. Well, right, because it's all like saves. So unless you have a really specific type of character, you don't have a lot of saving throws that you're good at. So Not usually by the time you encounter a Beholder too. Right. So odds are you're not making all of these saves. Something bad is going to happen to you at some point if you are in the way of this Beholder's plans. Yes. Um, that's why like one of my favorite encounters uh, for you guys in wasn't out of the abyss where you fought the beholder on a bridge over a massive 200 foot drop cavern. It was a classic catwalk fight from every action and sci-fi movie ever <laughs> where it's like, no, someone's been knocked off the catwalk and they're hanging. <laughs> yeah. Its first move was disintegrating the bridge you were standing on. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Tony did so not hold back. It dropped onto You dropped onto bridges below it because it's like this whole crisscross web pattern of bridges. Yeah. But there was a point where some of you were about to fall 200 feet. Yeah. It got real close. So uh, who, who has an answer for uh, this? My, my answer for Scariest Monster is very easy. Yeah. My answer is Tony slash Uthal. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh. I can plausibly say this. <laughs> Tony as a player character was the scariest monster. The worst. <laughs> Do you, would you like to clarify that statement, Adam, a little bit? Nope. We'll leave it at that. Uh, an alignment oh, um, shifted. <laughs> yeah, so Tony Fighter. in one of our campaigns was playing as um, a lawful good uh, warrior slash barbarian <laughs> character called yeah. Uthal. Also, he has this sword that oh, yeah. Bethany totally doesn't regret giving him. No, not it's at all. It's a vorpal sword. I gave him a vorpal sword. I thought he'd be dead by now. The stakes were made. It was early in my DMing. It was like three years ago. But, uh, but yes. <laughs> so... Uh, we had to go get this um, item from this lich, right? And it was a crown of madness, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. So the tone, when we kill the lich, the the crown's like, okay, let's go ahead and take over Uthal. <laughs> and I'm standing next to him, almost dead as it is. And then Tony just gets his alignment shifted from lawful good to chaotic evil, right? Uh, neutral chaotic, evil. Neutral evil. Neutral evil. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I say that because I'm like, oh, don't just slaughter everybody. Think about it. Yes. <laughs> so that was fun for me. I almost yeah. died. Oh, I almost, uh, I think me. I, I knocked you. I knocked Rachel unconscious. Um, I know Sai wasn't doing great because he had also been revivified yeah, by this point. Yeah. <laughs> I distracted Wayward by saying this is an illusion. Uh, oh yeah, you li- you lied to well, them because <laughs> he hadn't seen it. He yeah. just came up and saw me with the crown. And I'm like, no, this is an illusion. Yeah. Dariax has the crown. And Nick did not meta game. <laughs> no, and he would trust Uthal, my character, over Adam's character, who was brand new no. to our group. Yeah, how hard was that, Nick? Not to meta game. That was that was that was painful. It cut me deep. Um, and then you killed most of the rest of us anyway in the uh, non-canon battle royale that oh, we yeah. did. So that was terrifying. Yeah, they've learned Doko against the super tanky, hardy Goliath fighter barbarian. The one who has resistance to all but psychic damage. I literally just hit yeah. a rock. <laughs> oh, that's right. You dug a hole and hid. <laughs> Pro tip for I, the battle royale. Do not dig a hole and hide. It does not work out long term. <laughs> I flew as high as the arena would let me go, but he still picked me off with his longbow. <laughs> yeah. That was tough. I think Rachel Just because I'm like, my, my plus to that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were out, which is why we did a battle royale instead of a regular yeah. session because we didn't want to continue the story without you. Yeah, so instead, everyone just killed each other and they mm. were like, Tony is terrifying. I mean, Uthal. I mean, yeah, Tony and Uthal, both terrifying. Don't yeah. go against them. You know which one that I really hated was uh, those monsters in that cave that we fought the first session? Sturges. Sturges, that's Literally Sturges. What are they, a I CR? I hate them. They're, They're like a CR, CR of like a quarter. A quarter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or a half or something. Like, Sturges are the worst. I mean, they're basically just, like, weird bats that, you know, want to, like, you know, leech on you and suck your blood. They're not very tough. They don't have a lot of HP. But uh, that's that whole encounter is the reason that we have the motto, do not yell into caves, right? Yes. This is true. This is very true. So how did that play out from your perspective, Chris? <laughs> oh, my God. We were carefully approaching the cave, ready to investigate. Our, <laughs> our other party member, Rachel, uh, <laughs> went to the mouth of the cave and went, Hello! <laughs> and then we got completely and utterly swarmed with oh. sturges. Surrounded. Um, they're an eighth. An eighth? Oh gosh, they're oh, not even a quarter. Geez. Yeah, I mean, there weren't, to be fair, there were a lot of them because they were all throughout the cave. I didn't think they would all get aggroed at once. Um... Yeah, it it didn't go great. The party, it was almost like a TPK. It was one of my, it was like the second time I DM'd and I was like, what have I done? And then later I was like, no, they made their choices. (laughs) Well, one person made the choices. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for not telling me that house rule. I'm surprised I haven't done that yet. Oh, no yelling into caves? Yes, because you know that's a me thing. Okay, well, it's not a, sorry, that's a campaign rule. But yeah, yeah, campaign rules, no yelling into caves, no javelins. (laughs) No javelins. I await for Akiva to do exactly that. Yeah. I haven't gotten my hands on a javelin yet. You know, I really just kind of have to second the Uthal thing. Yeah. (laughs) You guys looked legitimately, like, terrified that not only were you all going to die, but that, like, Uthal would then go on and take over the world or something. It's like my second (laughs) session, man. (laughs) 
It might be part of the reason I took shield, just in case it comes up just again. In, just in case, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it might be part of the reason that Tony's character, actually, you were just a fighter then. You went barbarian, right? So you... I had gone barbarian so I could reckless attack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so. Well, there was also the fact that if I rolled a 20, they were beheaded. Yeah. So one question we got that I think was very interesting was from uh, one of the new <coughs> members of our uh, Discord server who asked, do you ever base characters or NPCs off of your cats? Uh, not all of us have cats, but I think pets is also fair. Um, I would say, no, I haven't directly, like, been like, I'm making my cat into an NPC, but I have made NPCs that got, oh my gosh, it's so-and-so. Like, this is one of my cats. Also, we have assigned classes to our cats. Yeah, we, we have assigned a class to our 100%. dog as well. Yeah, so, uh, Sophie, your dog, what, what class would you say she is? Oh, she is totally a lawful good paladin. And her deity is 100%. mommy and daddy. <laughs> yes, she's like, I will do whatever I whatever it takes to honor mommy and daddy. No one will get in my way. I will rip their throat out if they do not follow the rules and do what they're supposed to. <laughs> oh, man. Totally lawful good paladin. Yes. Yep. yep. So uh, I think that's 100% true. We've got Wooly, our uh, cat with the crooked paw, who's totally a party bard. 100%. 100%. All the charisma. Yeah. All uh, the charisma. What about what about your new cat, Adam T'Challa? T'Challa? I don't I don't know actually. He Is he still NPC class? <laughs> Technically he's still NPC class. Has he not taken level 1 yet? I don't I don't think he's taken level 1. Well, maybe level 1. And, yeah, I have to think about that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh The dark one, however. Oh, oh, you mean our cat? Oh, rogue. The, rogue. the dark one. Fury, who's 100% a rogue. She's called the dark one. Of course she's a rogue. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's there's also the fact that, Adam, you realized after building Akiva that he's basically our dog. I totally did that, too. <laughs> Explain why. Okay, look, there might be some real-life parallels between me and Coulson. Okay, there might be a reason we get along so well. I was going to say, what class did we assign to your dog, Bethany? Uh, I think we decided he's a friendly NPC. He's not actually a class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's that guy who's like, I'm so glad you're back in town. Let's hang out and like go to the tavern. Next question would be memorable moment when you had bad roles when you needed really good ones. Oh, I've got one. Yeah. Um, so there was this time that I was in the final battle of a campaign oh. and, 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 uh, and there was this, uh, what was it? Finger of death involved. I, I think I I could have rolled the save and maybe not instantly died, but that didn't really work out. So yeah, that that. Ooh, definitely, I mean, it one. wasn't just your bad rolls. It was a bad roll from a counter spell as well. But combination of that bad roll and a bad save, and That's then a true. good damage roll. I forgot. Chris did try to counterspell that. Yeah. There were two chances to get that out of the way, and both were bad rolls. Sorry, Nick. We, we've all been fingered of death at one yeah. point or another. That this, said, this I'm true. glad it was not a disintegration ray. So. Yeah, uh, I debated. <laughs> That's Whoa. the hardest. He had to disintegrate. Uh, <laughs> he just didn't awful. get a chance to use it because it's only one target. With finger of death, you'll still take the damage. Disintegrate is the worst spell, in my opinion. Oh, because you're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Save for, like, a true resurrection or something. Like dust in the wind. Literally. Uh, Adam, do you have a moment? Oh, man. I... Not exactly a moment where my... Can I switch it up a little bit? Yeah, It it wasn't a moment where my bad rolls were uh, happening and I needed really good ones. It was more where I got a really good one and bad things just ensued because of it. Which one are you thinking of, Adam? I have no idea. I'm going to fireball this city. 
Oh. Yes. That was uh, Daryl's master. Yes. Oh, man. That one was awful. All right. Walk through what happened, guys. (laughs) I'll I'll do from his perspective, but Adam spots a cloaked figure paying a little too much attention to the party Mm -hmm. who notices and starts to just walk away, and you decide to chase him Mm -hmm. in a crowded street. Yep. Um, You grab him, and he misty steps away from you. You then tackle him. Yeah. Yep. And as you're coming up, he's starting to cast and says, leave me alone or everyone here dies. Ugh. And then below- And you immediately said, I punch him. Ugh. It was so bad. And then Sawyer came and was like, ah, and you doubled down with me, thankfully. Uh, Yeah, thank goodness we were right. Otherwise- yeah. In this version, we were heroes. If we yes. were wrong, we were totally murderers. <laughs> you might have just killed the master of the academy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were kind of on the lamb after that, <laughs> to yeah, be fair. The rest of us were just trying to catch up and actually get in the fray. <laughs> and then when we finally catch up and these two murderers had just uh, committed a terrible atrocity, I roll up and see, oh my God, you just killed my mentor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said exactly. I'd have to listen to the episode, but it was like, <gasps> like no, it's a... It, yeah, like we were just like first it was Daryl I'm so sorry oh yeah that's true that's true yes start with the apology strong start <laughs> and then Pe- it was like in our defense he had brain thingy I, yeah. I did actually notice the, the brain yes yes because yeah. it was sticking to uh, Sildan's foot yes had I not noticed that it may have played out totally differently yep uh, so that was a moment where I have wish I hadn't rolled so well on the perception check yeah. It is both a good and bad thing but that you did. We did save all of those people, so yes. we were heroes. However, in I think the end. he wouldn't have raised the city to the ground if we hadn't provoked him. Well not then. Yeah. Well <laughs> you make a compelling argument, but we did the best with what we had. We did. So that's mine. Yeah, that was oh gosh. I was like half expecting you to die. Oh, so bad. No offense, but no, it was it was bad. The intellect devourer also almost um, ate your brain. Yeah. Mm. Well, Anyways, um, Chris, Bethany, do you have one? Uh, I don't think I particularly do. Overall, um, I tend to do whatever I can to be able to manipulate my roles, like taking the lucky feet and hoarding my inspiration until absolutely <laughs> desperate. So uh, I think I've had a few things. There was the time I burned all of my luck points. Um, I was just uh, about to say that. On a single turn. <laughs> I used all three. It was a single saving throw. Yes. And it was, um, you didn't know this, but no. the your fighter had like touched the secret wall mm-hmm. to reveal a portal. Yep. Um, and I just said, you need to make a save. And you're like, this seems really important. And you rolled like it was, a five. It was, it was a wisdom a save, seven. right? And I was like, wisdom was saves wisdom are bad. Save. Wisdom saves are bad news. If it was like a strength save and he fails, I'm like, that's okay. He's got HP. But I was like, wisdom save oh no this is bad okay i'll give him one of my luck points so what you wound up having like doing in the end he also uses indomitable he used indomitable we rolled so many times to get this it was a dc of either 19 or 20 oh god and he had to roll either a 19 or a or an 18 and up to make the save i understand that feel um you got it. You yeah. literally hit the DC. Yeah, it just because took it five, was a containment spell. Yeah, it took five rolls. <laughs> he was going to be teleported into a tiny gem. Oh. 
Uh, no one's ever seen that no before. No one's ever seen that. No, no, That's not why like, when you said now. that, I'm like, I know what this okay, is. Okay, sorry. Brief story uh, from my Prince of the Apocalypse game that has been referenced already uh, in our last session, which just happened recently. Um, Nick's character was just tossed a, a gem with a, well, not exactly an enemy NPC, but a hostile NPC. Like, this is your problem now. Here he is in a gem. You deal with him. Take him away. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, we're, we'll do some quick questions on the show. What recording software do you use? Uh, Audacity. We use Audacity because it's free and we all yep. record locally. So whatever recording software we use, we all need it because we all are in separate locations. Yep. yep. Well, Tony and I are in the and same house, but opposite sides. We <laughs> use Google Hangouts for a backup. Yeah. Hangouts on air is how we, we broadcast a private recording so we have that separate for ourselves and uh that's been pretty good we have had to use the backup what maybe like three times tony uh three to four three to four yeah. times yeah. just in case we've had some unfortunate uh issues with recording <laughs> yeah. yeah sometimes it's been like oh uh, a microphone the wrong microphone was being used and we hadn't realized um another time like internet went out so there was a cut and you weren't able to save the audacity program yeah, and, yeah. we had yeah. been betrayed before. The other time, lightning <laughs> hit the house and uh, oh, literally, blew out that's the modem. right. Yeah, yes, literally during recording. Yeah. yeah. Oh yes. my gosh, that was that was interesting. Which yeah. hearing that back on the audacity recording was really weird. Yeah, I think there was a lot of swearing on our part because it was still recording locally. Locally, yes, yeah. especially Rachel. Rachel. Was Rachel. Very <laughs> adamant about that sound. <laughs> I think Tony Rachel was like, swears oh. like a sailor. <laughs> yeah, like not just a sailor, like multiple sailors like it's a whole bunch of curses like overlapping voices all just swearing together it's a galley of sailors yeah yeah you don't want to be on the wrong side of that so next question have you ever considered video podcasting episodes kind of like critical role so i mean we play we play together face to face for my game and we've Mm -hmm. talked about it we've tried recording that but it definitely requires um some more significant equipment to be able to maintain the level of audio quality we have Mm-hmm. Plus, um, I remember the one time we did. I kept tapping on the table. Yeah, and I was like, Adam, because like in the recording here, <laughs> click, 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 click. I'm sorry, it's one of my ADHD tics. I it's know, not my fault. but then we learned to give you fidget toys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. quiet <laughs> fidget toys. Quiet fidget toys. Because we not made that mistake boring. early on too. Yes, the fidget toy that I was like, Adam, it's rattling around spin, inside spin, my spin, brain. I am going to die. I think you have to think about a lot more when you're doing video because like every move, every expression you make is out there and then you have to wear clothes chris (laughs) we're all wearing clothes just to clarify (laughs) so you think i did just get out of bed it it might be pajama pants but i'm fully clothed it is clothes yes that is clothes that is true yeah, I think uh, when we so when we record um, our episodes, some of us are on webcam. I enjoy being able to see people's faces, especially Adam's face, because Adam's face shows literally everything he's I thinking. I don't know what you mean. It's like I don't telegraph my emotions. Yeah, Adam's over there like bugging his eyes out. Um, also, it's fun when you're not in a scene to like communicate <laughs> to the other players through expressions. Just, yes, so we do lots of reacting to other things and serviceable plots when we're not in it. Adam and I are like. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> or or I'm not in a scene. Adam's RPing and his character is digging himself a hole and I'm going, no, I'm like, oh, no. stop. This is so bad. Going, double down. Always double down. Dig deeper. Yeah. So uh, I definitely think we've, we've talked about like doing some stuff with webcams and, uh, you know, we've done streaming uh, 
yep. a couple times. Um, it just requires a lot more setup on our end, and we all have to be in the same place to really make it, I guess, that same sort of like experience you'd have with Critical Role. So I don't know. Maybe someday? Maybe someday. Right now, we just don't have the equipment to really do it well. And I, while we can do it with webcams, I'd kind of rather do something like that face-to-face. Yeah. But. Yeah. But I guess uh, we have all the recordings of what we've done so far. So mostly we'll just see Adam and I and Tony make it. Adam and I making react faces and Tony just forgetting that he's on webcam and making sneaky faces, which we then react to. And then you're like, Tony, what are you thinking? Tony, what? Nothing. Tony, I, can see your, I can see your dimples, Tony. I know that means sneakiness is afoot. <laughs> no, there's no sneaky person about to stab you. Tony yeah. never has evil grins. No. Uh, Yeah, never. Not sinister. One of the questions I think is maybe for me, which is why the name D&D Raw uh, originally, we were called Rules is Written because that was what we started with, with the Rules is Written show where we discuss rules. That was the yep. whole like premise initially. Um, but we learned a lot of people don't like Rules is Written. <laughs> <laughs> Not the show, but the concept of being restricted by the rules, which I know we've sort of talked about that on our show, how we feel about mm-hmm. the rules and how we think it can help you take advantage of the game rather than feeling like a, a restriction. But uh, it just also is very long to say have rules is written everywhere. So our Twitter handle is still rules is written, but uh, raw is the abbreviation. Uh, and we were kind of moving into actual play to try that out. So I was like, well, what about D&D raw? I just kind of threw it out there. And Tony was like, yeah, I, think, I like it. And Rachel was like, yeah. So because we're raw, because we're yeah. raw, well, and and also we're really into unearthed arcana stuff, which is kind of raw. Yeah, it's raw so material. raw material. It felt clever at the time. I don't know. <laughs> if don't it know was. if it's held up to, to time. Eh, well, at least there. Also, it wasn't taken. <laughs> that, that's probably the main that's, one. That's another point. <laughs> so yep. yeah, that that's why. So we're still mostly play rules as written. So I think that's still accurate. But uh, yeah, that's the story of the name so far. It's a short name too. Nice to remember. Yep. Yes, that's true. Yes, it's not too long. It's easy to type. <laughs> it's pretty good. One of these I think is interesting. What is the stupidest thing in D&D 5e and why? I like that we homebrewed out the, the potion rules. Yes, that I think that might be the one that just seems so silly to me that it takes a full action to drink a potion. But there's like what it actually consists of is so many other much more complex things that you can't just like. Yeah, that one. Scrolls scrolls yeah the, uh, i mean if a scroll being used only by the people who can cast that type of spell at all yeah that's dumb i thought was kind of dumb yeah. those two in my opinion yeah and that's just more things that we think the mechanics of it don't bring any actual benefit to the gameplay it's not more fun to follow those rules so we just we don't do it totally free for we just have our own rules for it um i think sort of a general thing i think is dumb is that they're really isn't a lot around crafting there's more now with the tool proficiencies that they release later but in the original rules like if you wanted to craft things in the game it was like here is the cost for making magic items and, and that's well there it. was nothing on there's magic nothing items so really. I, I don't know yeah. i kind of thought that that was a huge blind spot because i don't know about you but lots of us like to make things in D with our downtime crafting crafting I remember how you kind of homebrewed like the, the, the amount of time it takes to do mm-hmm. X level of potion and that, that really yeah. made it more immersive. I think that kind of worked out. It was kind of uh, something we were trying out because uh, in my Prince of the Apocalypse game, Nick's character is, uh, you know, he's a sorcerer who does alchemy on the side. So, so one thing. No, no trends here at all. 
No. Nope. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I, I don't like, but I kind of understand why they did it, is I can't get super advantage. Oh, the uber advantage. <sighs> yes, the uber advantage. So if I had done something so amazingly awesome, <laughs> why can't it stack as opposed to somebody who just said something mediocrely awesome? Yes, Chris. I want to roll four dice. Or <laughs> there's dice. also, yeah, there's also the fact that you can have six different things that are giving you advantage. If you technically have one thing that's giving you disadvantage, it is a flat roll. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It does it. What? Which I think I've changed in my in my game. I cancel like one for one if there's an advantage disadvantage like competition, which has totally happened in combat. Yes. Um. So whichever has the higher amount wins out. Otherwise, I default to the advantage. Just it just levels out to a flat roll. But yeah. I know they did it to simplify the system overall, but some of the crunchiness from previous editions were a little nice. Yeah, you like a bit of crunch, yeah. Chris. We know it. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, give me more dice. <laughs> I wouldn't mind a little more crunch with critical hits, but oh well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I do like it's simplified, but there's points where you, I know like you roll a crit, you roll your damage, and your damage is weaker sometimes than if you just rolled one die. Mm. As a DM, how do you balance careful planning and flexibility with spontaneity? And I think this is actually your question, Nick. <laughs> oh, yes. So um, I plan a lot. Uh, Bethany can can attest to this, but uh, I probably do about at least an hour of prep to an hour of gameplay, maybe a little bit more sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually what it is is I'm just building out the area. And I'm seeing like, okay, this is how I react if he does this. I create a branching path. Yeah. Now, a lot of times you guys veer off course um, and I try to prepare for that to a certain extent um, and I'll be a little bit more like flexible on it because I'm like, well, you chose something I wasn't expecting, but that is possible. Um, So I want to say I'm probably like 60 to 70 percent planning, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, it's something that's like Tony and I are both planners, but we work very differently. And that I plan and replan and unplan. I do a lot of revisions. So downside of having a long time between sessions is I write and rewrite and rewrite. Like right now for my campaign, I've got like six endings written. I don't know if any of them will happen, but like I'm so ready. <laughs> I'm, I'm half expecting one of those endings is Uthal is dead. We're going to throw such a spanner in. Oh, that I know. Works. That's why I'm like, and if none of those work out, we're just gonna fly by the seat of our pants and figure it out Shadow as we go. Dragon. Shadow yeah. Dragon. Oh, oh okay. All right. So I like planning. I like knowing what's gonna happen. Uh, brief story from from Prince of the Apocalypse that just happened last session. For a long time since early in the campaign, when they met a you know, attractive lady shadow dragon and a cool lich. Uh, some of the players, Rachel, have been totally shipping these characters that they've never <laughs> met. But she's like, but think how cool. Like, they're both, like, quiet and reclusive. They don't like going out. They're both, like, really powerful and maybe a little creepy. Like, they would totally hit it off. Like, Really, they just... we just want Draco lich babies. <laughs> Draco lich babies. Basically. So, so that's something that's just been, like, a running joke for, like, three years. And now that they're near the end of the campaign and they're going to, you know, recruit some allies, I had a story reason for why the Lady Shadow Dragon would be trying to meet up with the party. So she's like following along, you know, in her drow form rather than being in her dragon form because that will attract attention. And the party is meeting with the lich except for the rogue who's skulking along behind doing the rogue thing. 
uh, and I was like, this is gonna be so great. There's gonna be like this awkward meet cute with like the Lich and the Lady Shadow Dragon. It's gonna be like awkward, but it'll be really funny. And I'm like geared up in my head for like this like kind of like cringe cute scene. Uh, and then what happened, guys? Okay, we in knew we were being followed, and we had someone we were talking to get power word killed. Okay, that's Previously aside, but that's entire. aside the point. Yes, you knew that you were being uh, trolled by the god of lies with murderous intent. Yes, that a is rogue a rogue assassinated the dragon. It was like eighty something damage just for yeah, reference. yeah. She for one hit. in a single hit. Yeah, yeah. She just sneaked up and like stabbed her in the back without knowing who she was at all. They just knew she was like a roped figure. And one time you indulge us. I was like, uh, uh, hold on a second, guys. As I'm like flipping through, pulling up her stats because I had like I had them somewhere in a folder, but I didn't think I need them. And they're freaking out because some of them thought that it was a different like friendly NPC that just got stabbed, like Tony's character's fiance, who's known for being sneaky. <laughs> Another layer: uh, the knife used was a nine life stealer, so if it brought the HP to zero, that person's soul would have been stolen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole group is like, yeah, the rogue's like, yeah. Yeah, stabbing everyone else is like, what have we done? Oh no, oh no, this is so bad. And I'm like, please, please hold. Um, give me a moment. Flip, 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 flip. Please hold while your plot twist is calculated. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then she's revealed, and they know that she's a, an attractive drow. They're like, we don't know any drow. And then she starts transforming to dragon. They're all like, it's like oh, oh no, we know this drow. Never mind. Yes. Yeah, and you ended the session right there. Well, <laughs> Which it was on time. That was the scheduled time to end. But I was like, this is a good, uh, this is a good moment to end. It's uh, a good cliffhanger. Yeah, it's good. You'll be really excited next session when you have your options to fight or talk down a, a really down. angry shadow talk dragon. Down. We yeah. need allies, not enemies. So yeah. Yeah, that that's a prime example of Bethany planning A through Z, and we rip, whip out this Egyptian hieroglyph. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? Didn't play it on the Cyrillic. What? <laughs> <laughs> it was a good. It was a good. Session, but the end. I was like, session. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot to breathe a little bit. Oh my gosh, oh, what's gonna happen next time? I don't even know what's gonna happen next time. Uh, I'll try to plan. So if we have to fight, we'll fight. But I, I we need it. So I guess it's anyway. Tony and I like to plan, but be responsive. So favorite monster. So way I did have one of the questions: What is your favorite monster, uh, either that you fought or that you played in the campaign? Does anyone want to jump in or? I think our fight in the uh, podcast of foes episode we did was was really interesting. Oh, Just yeah. that invisibility aspect to it. That yep. one was fun. I, I did enjoy that one. Oh, <sighs> you know who was... I hated uh, that we fought uh, not too long ago was uh, that was yeah that was the the, the one shot that we did. It was that uh, spidery. Uh, oh, the uh, star spawn mangler. Oh, oh that guy was awful. So many arms. Yeah. yeah, he gets a, he can do this and it recharges. Part of the problem is it recharged every yeah. other round. But mean. he can attack with all of his arms as an action and then move away without attacks of opportunity as a bonus action. That one wrecked me, man. Yeah, it hit you hard because it's if it also if it surprises you, uh, it has advantage. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts real bad. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, I want to test this thing because I may or may not use it in the campaign. Probably not. But let's see. Oh, gosh, they're dying. <laughs> I've done a lot of it. You know what? I've got to say for, for Orenthal, the Alhoon. I like intelligent enemies. So fighting the Alhoon, I really enjoyed that combat. That was a lot of fun. 
Bethany, did you want to go over favorite monster for you real quick? Favorite monster? I don't want to say I like beholders, but I like beholders. Um, <laughs> I haven't used them in my game, but my favorite monsters as a DM are just like PCs, but evil. <laughs> like, I just like giving classes to, to monsters. And then you guys are like, they're like us, but awful. Like <laughs> stupid wizards, evil sorcerers. Like that's yep. my go-to. That's where I'm comfortable. So Tony, the whole talk about the podcast of Foe, I, I think could segue nicely into the uh, what is the best mount that your character ever had? Ah, I think that would be an excellent statement. So Chris, what is the best mount you've ever had? So we, we had a we had a character who uh, polymorphed into a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yep. And then we epically rode out on in a blaze of glory uh, through a portal. Yep. That was probably yep. one of the, the best mounts. Although I'd say a, a second runner-up is uh, the shield golem that I have in uh, yeah <laughs> in Bethany's in Bethany's campaign. You know he's not technically a mount. <laughs> so you say, but you experience have... says otherwise. It's true. I've been like, fine, sure, he can carry two party members while they read books. <laughs> Perfectly normal. Uh, does anyone else have another best mount that they want to mention? Because I did like uh, flying the Griffin. I haven't had that many mounts. That was really the only one for me, and that fight was yeah. terrifying because yeah. losing your mount means you're you're gone. You fall. Yeah. So do we want to do a dumbest monster? Because I've got mine. I can yeah, make go for it. Quick we'll story. Do dumbest monster. Zombies. Uh, because. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember I, this. Yes. I know this story. It was very early on in running Prince of the Apocalypse. You go into a creepy necromancer's lair. There's some zombies. And the way the book has it, the zombies are like up on a ledge, a couple of them. And they like jump down. And my zombies were like, and jumped down and instantly died. <laughs> like, well, that was anticlimactic. And you, you guys like walk into the cave and you're like, oh, no, zombies. Oh. Oh, never mind. Uh, we're cool. Not a like this situation has sorted damage. itself. And I was like, zombies are so dumb. Yeah, they're it took a D6 of damage from the fall. Yeah, oh my like, God. they're so weak and they have like no skills. They just go and like flop their little zombie arms at you. Like they're no fun. They can't do anything and they just die. So they're only there for cannon fodder. So they're not fun to play as a DM because you're like, and then they're going to do the zombie thing. Shamble up 20 feet. They miss. Take a swing. Or they're just going to fall to their death. Whatever. It was probably the for the best. <laughs> so that's mine. Dumbest monster, zombies. Oh, I don't like bandits. Just standard bandits. Just a standard bandit. I just don't. Like, they're, like, most of the time, one hit, they're dead. And is that because Rachel's character will try to recruit them and get them jobs and, like, <laughs> <laughs> don't fight the bandits. They just need better employment options. You need to get them it's a true. home, get them work, and they will leave that bandit life behind. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know what? I know what this dumbest monster I have. I'm trying to remember what the exact name of it was, but it was the um, devils that you fought in Justice Crew, the super fat, blubbery, oh, like the gross ones. Yeah, yeah, they were the podcast of foe. Like as I was like running them, like oh, this will be interesting. Cool, you guys slaughter them because you could stay at range, and like they're just where are you? They're we gross. have a tent, like a 20 foot oh. blind sight, and that is all. Yeah, so we just sort of like hiding from them. No, I yep. threw in the holy hand you grenade. And then the holy hand grenade took care yeah. of it. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, that was I great. Mean, it was great for Chris. <laughs> that's why I'm just Get. like, cool. Bro. Even their, their cool thing that you get stung by the flies around them and start like getting poisoned isn't working because you guys are rolling well. Yeah. Great. All right. What's your favorite character that you played in the podcast or elsewhere? 
Oh, this is a tough one for me. I'm, I'm torn between two. It's uh, Chet. So that is one of them. Because uh, it was supposed to be like a super annoying character, but it just ended up being super endearing. Yeah, you, yes. you made Chet to troll us. I know yeah. it. <laughs> You're like, he's a bro who likes to fight things. And we're like, oh, that sounds awful. Then we're like, you know what? I'm kind of digging it. Chet. <laughs> but in doses. Yes. Yeah. If you want to hear Chet, he is in our podcast of foes one shot that we yeah. did that is on our I, feed. I think Chet is best relegated to the realm of one shots. Yes. Any yep. extended exposure to Chet, <laughs> I feel it would be detrimental to people's health. Yeah, that's probably true. It will it'll slowly sap your brain. Yes. <laughs> Chet exposure. So yes. for are you willing to say Chet for now? Chet Chettington. Chet Chettington. Chet Chettington the third, right? Because he's been through well, there's, the, he's he been the, two iterations. There's yeah, two different yeah. Chets, yeah. The, the li- lineage of Chet. <laughs> of the Cheddingtons. Yep. <laughs> so that's it for Chris. Uh, Tony, is it Uthal? If, yeah, if, it's got to be Uthal. Yeah, if you say otherwise, I'll say you're a liar. I know how much <laughs> you're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, Uthal, I based off of uh, Full Metal Alchemist's um, Major Armstrong. Yes. Initially. Yeah. So perfect physical form. Oh, so much flexing. Oh. <laughs> he became more than that, but yeah, no, I, Uthal's my favorite. Yeah. Uh, Adam? It's a tie between Akiva and Sildan. Sildan lets me just be weird. Yeah. But Akiva lets me go full spaz. So, like, it's just degrees of weird. Akiva's, like, even weirder. (laughs) Yeah. I like both of the characters. They do have some similarities, but Akiva's definitely weirder than Sildan was. (laughs) Because, like, hi, not only am I not from this town, I'm not from this plane. Hi! Hi, I'm a death elf. I was banished by my people. Stop telling people that, man. You gotta stop telling people. (laughs) It'll clear everything up, man. Don't worry. No. They seem nice. They're friendly. They'll trust me. They don't trust me. Why don't they trust me? Why? I don't understand. Because you told them you're a death elf and you got banished and you're not here to watch anyone die. It's not a good story. Each of the campaign length characters I've done, I've taken increasing amounts of risk as I've gone on. <laughs> and I've got to say, I uh, Leuven is risky and, and kind of terrifying to play, but also I, I'm having so much fun with him. And yeah. I just look forward to seeing how he develops. Yeah, he's got a lot of room to grow. I, I'm curious who Leuven will become over the course of the campaign based on events. So far, he's had some exciting near-death experiences in the course of like a few days <laughs> of, of real world time <laughs> or in-game time. Yes. Yeah. We'll just wait for the PTSD to set in. Yeah. Oh, no. Punished R- Rumble Squad takes a dark turn. <laughs> <laughs> you thought Lubin was happy to go lucky. But... He's like, I've but seen things. I've seen things. I never asked for this. So like, <laughs> Orcs killed my parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, for mine, I have enjoyed every character I've played. I have. I regret none of them. They're all obnoxious in their own ways. But uh, my favorite is the one I played the longest so far, and that was in Tony's this campaign and that was Ara, my uh, drow ranger uh, with a noble background who started out as a super snob. No, no, don't just say ranger. I'm sorry, ranger, rogue, fighter, cleric. Uh, she started as a ranger and then Tony let me multi-class the heck out of that character because every NPC who had class, I'm like, teach me. I need to learn. I need to survive. I don't want to die in the underdark. Everything is trying to kill us. But yeah, I liked her. She was snobby, but not actually mean. She just was quietly condescending and she got better over time over the course of mm-hmm. years and grew into a leadership role and kept everyone alive to spite Tony. I mean, that was me, but you know, also the character. So <laughs> I miss her sometimes. She was a little bit meaner than Saria was in Orenthal. She was also a monster. 
Well, who is a monster? All my characters are monsters, Adam. You have to understand this. I don't play characters who aren't monsters <laughs> quietly. <laughs> they seem something on the surface. For the background, they're like, I will kill everyone to achieve my goals. But we're friends. It's really That's just good, right? Bethany. It's me. I'm ruthless quietly. <laughs> quietly? Shh. They don't know Sometimes that. Sometimes not I, so quietly. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's overt. I, I switch it up. But yeah, that's my favorite character so far is Ara from Out of the Abyss. But well, I like Belinda. We'll see where she goes. Like, like Nick, I'm curious where the adventure is going to take us. I think I'm going to go with the questions that are about upcoming plans. Uh, one of those oh. is not a question, but I wanted to share that we will be at Gen Con. Yay! Yay! If not all of us, most of us. So if you are going to Gen Con, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. I'm sure we can arrange to meet up somewhere. We will be going around playing games, watching people play games, talking about people playing games, and then buying games at the auction. Right, Chris? Oh, yes. I love the flea market of games. <laughs> yes, it was awesome. We spent forever there long enough that Rachel was like, please let me leave. I'm so done here. Chris and I are like, more deals. More bargains. <laughs> Although we did get some for her. So I think yes. she kind of quiesced at the end. There. Yes, it, it worked out. So we, we will be at Gen Con this year. So that will be fun in Indianapolis. Yeah. One of the questions about upcoming plans is how do you plan to evolve the show? Uh, I think this is something Tony and I have talked about. The short answer is we would like to release more content because we have a lot of mm-hmm. content, but it's finding the time with our full-time day jobs uh, to also make time for podcasting. So having the Patreon and having that support has been helpful. Yep. I think it's more just trying to expand what we're doing in the world and doing new things and We've always enjoyed doing Rules as Written, but that's kind of been going in a slightly different direction to more of a DM advice show. So that's kind of been an evolution. And uh, having the two parties in the world was a change, but I think that's been fun to see the completely different styles of play (laughs) in both groups. (laughs) Serviceable Plots is like, let's talk about trust. And you guys are like, let's go chase a monster into a woods. (laughs) And Rumble Squad. Let's forge all the things. Oh, yes. Much crafting. You do a lot more crafting than we do. (laughs) Surprisingly. Another question is about changes to Patreon rewards. I think we're actually good for right now. We would love to have more support for more patrons and then we would maybe reevaluate. But I think our, our tiers have been providing a nice range of options and definitely things that we have made sure we can follow through on because if you guys support us, we want to make sure we're giving you back what we promised, which is... And the more support we get, the more we might be able to do. Yeah. 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 So I think that's been really good. And one of these was questions, any ideas on merch in the future? This is something we've talked about. Uh, we have like our D&D Raw t-shirts that you can get on Teespring, but that's mainly just something that we're going to use because then at Gen Con, we can wear our logos. You can find us. Yeah. Uh, yay. But otherwise, I think if we had if it worked out financially, we definitely would love to do some more art and stuff and, and doing that with, with merch. I know Jade ha- has wanted a Roll for Swoon shirt. Um <laughs> Because of a go back and listen oh, to Orithal. Oh, oh, <laughs> so maybe some of the fun things that have come up. Uh, some not specific plans in the works beyond what we have right now, but uh, definitely something we've talked about. I will keep joking about a woolly calendar. Oh, yeah, a calendar of my cat. One thing I would like to do if I get some more free time is uh, if we wanted to do any branded, like either 3D printing stuff or CNCing, laser cutting. There you go. Chris has the equipment. All the tools. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe that's something we could do as a Patreon reward at some point or or as merch. So uh, I guess let us know if if anything we have said sounds interesting to you or if you have other ideas because we're kind of just, you know, figuring it out as we go. We're just trucking along. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So a couple of things I wanted to mention before we wrap up the mailbag episode. One is, going forward, we're looking to do things in a more audio drama type of style. While we're still keeping the aspects of the game like you're still sitting with us at the table, we are just fast-tracking a few decision-making things, as well as removing the sound of dice rolls. We still like to keep the numbers and let everybody know what was rolled and what the amounts are, because I like that aspect of the game, and it's always something I like looking for in other podcasts. We do want things to definitely have a more audio drama type of feel to it. So adding music in the background, adding sound effects is definitely something we plan to do more of going forward. One other thing that we will be doing and something coming up soon in serviceable plots is we will be having guest stars jump onto the show. Uh, People from other podcasts that will be jumping on to assist the party most of the time in some way, shape or form. It's something that we're looking to do more of and something that I think could be a lot of fun going forward as we bring in guest stars as guest characters into the world of Ostia. So look forward to that going forward as well. But beyond that, I think we're all good for this mailbag episode. And now we'll be doing a recap of our two actual play campaigns, Serviceable Plots and Rumble Squad. So first, if you haven't listened to episodes 1 through 10 of Serviceable Plots, here's what has happened so far. Scriv and Belinda arrived in the town of Astonbrook so that Scriv could play a friend of his father's, Elizabeth Cornwallis, in a game of Cataclysm. Meanwhile, Akiva and Valen were arriving in the town of Astonbrook, having heard of a job opportunity but managed to deal with some bandits along the way. As the two pairs were given the chance to meet, Elizabeth informed them all that there was a cleric coming into the port city of Amaron, who claimed to have important information. They were to go to Amaron, collect the cleric, and bring back the information. After some haggling over the terms of the job, the party agreed to work together and made preparations to set out the next day. The party made the 10-day journey from Aspenbrook to Amaron, getting to know a little bit about each other along the way. Then, after 10 days of meditation, contemplation, sparring, and games of cataclysm, they finally arrived in the port city of Amaron. From here, they began making their way over to the Thistledon Inn to find a place to rest for the evening and stopped off in the market for some delicious fried fish where they learned they needed to speak to Constable Olga in the port barracks if they wanted to learn any information about the cleric that they've come to meet. The party made their way to the Thistledon Inn where they were able to put their gear down as Valen spruced himself up and introduced himself as the Cantor Aurelian of the Dedicants of Eshenai his official title as a representative of his sect. From here, the party went to the port barracks where they met with Constable Olga Marsk, who informed them that the cleric Zolus was a rumored pirate and that he should be arriving soon. She was also able to size the party up quickly, realizing Valen was an Asimar and Akiva was a Shadar Kai. However, the party put her mind at ease when they quickly explained that they simply intended to escort Zolus out of the city, and she promised to let them know when his ship came to port. During the night, however, alarm bells rung throughout the city as screams and explosions could be heard. The party geared up quickly and ran out, learning, thanks to Akiva's pet pseudo-dragon Lazarus, that several undead had taken control of the ballista and were firing at a ship out on the water while attacking anyone who got too close. They made their way over to the docks and charged into battle, taking out several undead who were casting warlock spells and took a lot of fire damage along the way. As they began to converge on the leader of this undead group, he set fire to nearby homes and teleported away as his allies flew off into the sky. As the party set about rescuing people from the burning buildings, Lazarus noticed several small boats headed away from the ship that had been attacked and the party made their way over to meet them. 
as the party came across a heated argument between Constable Marsk and the man they learned was Zolus, they were able to calm things down before Zolus asked if they happened to know of a place to drink. The party took Zolus to the Ocean Breeze where they discussed the attacks of the Deathlocks. Zolus explained that he believes these creatures to be servants of a demon lord that goes by the name Tenebris. After explaining he had a vision from his goddess Fumera about a potential attack on Ornthal, Zolus said that he had not heard from his goddess since then and confirmed the date as the 23rd of Neil, just over a year ago. The same date the divine energy in the world almost completely vanished. The party then decided that they would first give Zolus a day to recover from his journey, while Belinda and Scriv took care of some business they had at Arborshade Academy. During the night, however, Akiva was visited by a strange entity who explained that as Akiva grew stronger, so would he and that he hoped the two of them would have a mutually beneficial arrangement. Akiva told everyone about his conversation with his patron during the early hours of the morning. There was great concern over this as there was some definite sinister tones to the patron's words, as Belinda herself saw with her mind meld ability. This led Belinda to revealing that she could speak to people telepathically, surprising Valen and Akiva. While the guards of Amran continued to follow Zolas, who was to be guarded by Valen and Akiva in the morning, Scriv and Belinda made their way to Arborshade Academy with a quick stop at Fantasy Office Depot. After a brief meeting with the headmistress, Zinevere, the pair met with the divination instructor, Horjan, who inspected an amulet Scriv found and suddenly spoke in a voice that was not like his own. The party began attempting to understand the prophecy that they heard from the divination professor of Arborshade Academy. Uncertain of what to do next, Akiva and Valen toured Amaran and acquired several items of interest. Meanwhile, the group spoke of their next plans and Scriv returned to the academy to reacquire the amulet that he had given Horjan to study, since he and Belinda were not sure if the item was safe here. Finally, as the party was keeping watch, Akiva heard a familiar voice call out to him during the night, warning him. The party left the city of Amaran and began their journey back to the Vremer Empire and on to Orenthal. With the prophecy set aside for now, they came across the Red Sash Bandits, who remembered dealing with Akiva and Valen before. While Belinda caused their leader to have a migraine, she and Valen worked together in order to convince the bandits to leave a heavily wounded Githzerai alone. After healing their new traveling companion, Doc, he told them that demons were running amok across the plains and that he was here to warn whoever he could. The party decided that they would bring Doc along and try and get him to people who could do a lot more with the information than they could. As they arrived in the town of Faravale, while Valen, Doc, and Zolus went over to a shrine of Vumera, Scriv, Belinda, and Akiva went to get them rooms at the inn, where they met an old blind woman, who upon first speaking to Akiva asked him what he was doing on this plane. The party spoke with the strange blind woman, Bai, who was clearly not all that she claimed to be, and despite Belinda's warnings, Everyone seemed to simply trust the old woman. While Belinda was trying to figure out by, Zolus prayed at the nearby shrine to Vimera, Akiva was telling his life story, and Scriv was making official documentation for Doc and Akiva to enter the Vremer Empire. Eventually, Zolus pulled Belinda aside and explained to her that he was holding two items of interest. One was a blade that seemed to be part of something larger, while the other was an amulet that contained the very essence of the demon lord Tenebris, and the reason that Zolus was being hunted. Belinda held on to these items for safety, just as Valen sensed a fiend nearby, though not sure where. While he searched, Belinda prayed to Adar, 
and for the first time in over a year, felt some guidance as she looked out onto the stormy night and saw globes of darkness slowly approaching the inn. While Scriv gets the acolytes from the Temple of Umera to safety, the rest of the party prepare for what turns out to be dozens of undead. The party was attacked by dozens of zombies and skeletons that were being controlled by deathlocks. During the attack, Zolus was stabbed and nearly killed by Doc, who turned out to be an incubus assassin. The party repelled the undead attackers, saved Zolus, and though Doc nearly escaped, he was successfully eliminated. After the attack, the party gathered together and discussed the items that Zolus had given Belinda to hold. One was a pure white dagger that looked to be part of something larger. The other was an amulet that held the essence of Tenebris. The amulet they discovered was similar in design to the ancient one that Scriv carried, and the dagger seemed to reject certain people from attuning to it. As the party went to retire for the evening, Scriv went to have tea with Bai, a mysterious old blind woman who mentioned that it was strange that the demon's body did not turn to Icar and return to his home plane, as was common of fiends to do upon their death. Unable to learn anything more of this, Scriv and Bai discussed different places around the world, as well as Veripol, Scriv's hometown, before going to sleep for the evening. We pick up with the party the next morning. And now on to Rumble Squad. Again, if you haven't listened to episodes 1-10 through 10 of Rumble Squad and want to jump right into episode 11, here's what has happened so far. The party left off, where they were talking to Dorora Ilfakir, who interviewed the party and offered them 10 gold apiece to travel to Asenthios and find out what this magical item that they apparently have that would be of great importance to the Nephany. The party was questioned on their specific skill sets, Elaine saying that she would need to talk to Oryx, Mule, Anvil before they headed out on the journey. The party was told that it should take two day before they reach Isenthias from the town they were in, Amonkar. The party then made a 19-day trek through the Rigorum woods as they traveled to the town of Asenthias. This journey gave each of them a chance to learn a bit more about each other and to learn a bit about what their companions enjoyed doing. As they traveled, however, they came across an elven woman who seemed to be running for her life from a group of orcs. Jumping in to help, the party battled the orcs and one by one took each of them down. However, Nissa was nearly struck down in the skirmish, and if not for Luvin's quick and risky decision to hurl a healing draw to her, she could have died in the confrontation. The party learned that the wood elf they rescued had in fact used herself as bait in order to protect two little gnome children, Felver and Remy, from a roving band of orcs. The elven woman, Vashti, asked the party to escort the children back to Asenthias as she was not welcome there. The party agreed not to mention her name, and brought the children to their mother, Isona, who invited the party to stay at her inn, the big child. They then learned several customs of the land, and were given a feast in thanks for rescuing the children. Afterwards, the group prepared to go join a party that was happening in the very center of town. After Oryk took an hour to make some studded leather armor, everyone made their way to the celebration happening on the center platform of Asenthios. While Elaine and Luvin practiced their skills at knife throwing, Nissa made her way through the crowd and acquired some shinies. The party spent the night carousing and woke up in strange locations. Nissa and Elaine in the stables, Oric in an alchemy shop meeting the owner Selisar, and Luvin on the floor of his room with two women asleep on his bed. After they met back up, the party split up again 
and accomplish separate tasks around Asynthias. Elaine and Nyssa got to meet a dinosaur, while Auric may have found a new apprentice after learning that this town was one that barters rather than pays for things. Leuven, meanwhile, spoke with Selassar about alchemy and learned more about her missing friend, Evelios, who she believes might be the Egos that the party is searching for. However, while leaving her shop, Leuven spotted a thin figure cloaked all in black and was shocked when he saw that it had four thin pale arms and cast a spell before it suddenly vanished. The party reunited as they debated what to do about the mysterious forearm figure that Leuven saw. After taking some time to speak with Selassar, the party discovered that her shop had been searched by someone. It was then that they knew they needed to go and find Avelios, since he is the only other alchemist anywhere nearby, and see if his place had been searched as well, or if he was even alright. The party traversed through the Rigorum as they made their way to Avelios' home. They successfully avoided snakes and orc hunting parties, yet were consistently watched by a strange, intelligent tiger as they walked. They arrived at the house finding both the exterior and interior covered in traps. The house appeared empty though had been completely ransacked, and it wasn't until Nyssa discovered a locked cupboard that the party was able to find a hidden passage that ran beneath the house. Scouting ahead, Nyssa learned that the forearm figure that Leuven saw earlier was there, and he actually had six arms, which were seen as he searched the hidden room for something. Nyssa waited just a few minutes to observe before making her way back to the rest of the party. The party confronted the six-armed creature known as a Spellweaver, and though he got away, the party was able to defeat his hobgoblin bodyguards, however, with some difficulty. Looking through the lab at Avelios' house, Auric learned of the location Avelios may have hid. Leuven read up on alchemical experiments, Nyssa found a couple items of interest, and Elaine recovered from some serious injuries. Though the whole party did not agree, they began to try and catch up to the Spellweaver when they were confronted by the tiger who had been following them, only to reveal it was in fact Vashti, who had just finished saying that perhaps she could help. The party spoke with Vashti, who explained that the Spellweaver was an aberration that she could help them find. As she escorted the party to the edge of her territory, she warned everyone that they were entering the lands of the Lady of Spirits, and that they should not harm anything natural within her realm. The party pressed on and avoided a hungry bear as they found the tunnels described in Avelios' journal. They continued down the tunnels until they found themselves at what appeared to be the entrance to an ancient city. As they approached the massive gate, Auric thought he heard the sound of hammering and steam, as well as noticing a faint light somewhere beyond the gate which was slightly open. The party battled against a protector of a city that they learned was called Neverhelm, as they were beaten down by this bronze golem but in the end, they were victorious. Deciding to find a place to hide out and rest, they recovered from the previous day's ordeals and began making preparations for what to do next. The party made their way deeper into the city known as Neverhelm, where first they found a smithy, where they solved the puzzle there and avoided a large intimidating creature who they helped free due to their shared predicament of being trapped. In the smithy, they discovered some gems and a mithril key, a potion of healing, and a hat of disguise. They pressed on, arriving at some sort of throne room, where they used the mithril key, which revealed some strange glass. As the party each touched the glass, they vanished from the room. Auric was the first to step through the portal, with the party following shortly behind, and they found themselves teleported to some strange location known only as the Vault of Neverelm. As they were preparing to explore further, they heard a voice cry out, 
No, stay away from me. And that is where we pick up with the party.